Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling like we are family because today's guest, even though we've never met before, I don't even know if you've ever actually spoken on the phone or anything, but we've been talking for many months on email because her work was recently in the group show in Margate, uh, Breakfast Under the Tree, um, and it was one of our favourite paintings in the show. And it was actually a hard show, though, because I think all the paintings are basically our favourite paintings in the show because we love all the artists so much. But um, (laughs) the the painting that I'm talking about was called Chinese Takeout, and I love that painting so much. And um, there's something about the way that I felt with that work it almost kind of became like family to me during the running of the show and like I know also the artist that we're about to speak to has a family member in that painting but also in many of in many of her paintings and um often includes friends and also some amazing uh zoom portraits of people that she she connects with over the computer and I I love this idea of like people sitting for portraits um, from afar, which is what we're doing today. So we are being linked to Los Angeles because we're on the eve of our guest's um, big solo show um, at Night Gallery, which opens, I think, this Saturday. So everybody in LA, you can get down to see this show. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get on so we can actually start chatting to our guest. We would like to welcome to Talk Art, Susan, Susan Chen. Yeah, it's Hi. so great to be here. No, I feel like I'm listening to talk art, but then I'm like, wait, it's going to be me on there. So it's like pretty <laughs> surreal. So, That's yeah. great. See, you're, you're a listener to talk art. You, you keep up with it. No, yes. I feel like I was listening when you guys had like three episodes, um, like really early on. And I just feel like with so like at art school, for example, you get like the opportunity to go to like artists studios like Nicole Mm. Eisenman or like, you know, if you're lucky. And like a lot of times I think about because like art school is like ridiculously expensive now. And I'm like, oh, there are a lot of people who won't be able to like access these like, you know, meet the artists or see their studios. And I feel like with, you know, like what you guys are doing, just, you know, podcasts with artists, it's like it allows, it just like makes it more accessible. Like you like let people go to people's studios that like maybe they can't go to art school, but they can still like meet the artist. That's Love it. That. Well, that's an amazing review, Susan. Thank you so much. <laughs> that, is, that is thrilling Five to hear. Five star for you on the <laughs> So you're in Los Angeles right now because as Rob was saying, you your show, uh, I'm Not a Virus, is about to open at Night Gallery. But you're, you're normally based in New York, right? 
Yes. Um, so during COVID, I was actually painting in our garage in um, Hartford, Connecticut. And, mm. um, and then, so I came out here to open, to install the show this week. Um, and it's, so no, it's just, I, I realized on the plane, like on the way here, um, that I probably haven't really like left the studio since like 2017. Cause I like went like through art school and then COVID happened. And then like I did a show and then I like kind of didn't have the experience. So like, I forgot to give myself some time between like one show and another. Mm. And then, so I went into this show and then I like delivered it on the weekend and was like, Oh, like, Oh, I have some like free time now. So <laughs> yes, it's, it's also kind of weird going from like hibernation during COVID where you're like alone all the time. And like with night gallery, I hadn't met like any of the team members or like even Davida who runs the gallery. Like I only like knew them through zoom. So it was just like kind of fascinating to arrive and like meet everyone in person. And also just like coming out of hibernation, like everything feels like extra, like sensory heightened totally. if that makes any sense like we <laughs> we went to universal studios on sunday and i just like at the end there's like a jurassic park ride and i was just like i was just like oh my god like my sensories are already exploding and then there's like a t-rex that popped out and then there were like two t-rexes and i was just like i can't even handle the one t-rex there's like two t-rexes but um but yeah that was a moment this. where i was like oh covid you know it really it really like heightens like real life yeah, wow. well, we've had whole we've had whole processes where we've set up with new agents and we've got book like deals and we've been doing all that with the tour car book and everything was done through Zoom. So when we finally meet everyone in person, it was like, oh, that's how tall you are. Oh, that's what you look like from the from the neck down. It's like you just get so used to seeing people on screen. It is it very was, discombobulated. It's so weird, and it's almost like that right now though, because um, we when we were interacting for the group show in Margate, I feel like the emails you sent were so amazing because you you love. I, th I think you were like a natural writer as well somehow. You seem to be really like fond of like sort of really expressing yourself through words. Um, yeah, so I feel like the problem with that is that it takes me a while to get back to email sometimes because when I write, I like actually like want to like say what, you know how some people reply text messages and they can just reply one words. Mm. I'm yeah. like, oh, I wish I could be that person. But it'll take <laughs> me like a couple of months sometimes and then I'll reply to someone's message. It'll be like, like, paragraphs and paragraphs love it but um yeah maybe it's just like a style thing or something that's yeah, great so when you were talking about your art school this was your mfa that you were completing at columbia but you had to leave early because of covid as every other student did and your living room then became your studio oh yeah that was that was totally crazy um yeah no i feel like we sort of had a really dramatic like um I mean, it was also the, you know, beginning of the pandemic. And I honestly, it was like pretty terrifying. I think for me, it's kind of crazy because I've already lived through SARS and I've lived oh like SARS in 03 and I lived through swine in 08. And so when this happened, I was like, oh, here we go again. Um, but I know for like a lot of people that would have been like their first time. But I, I was like really nervous COVID would be as lethal as SARS because like if you caught SARS, you were like pretty much like you were definitely going to pass. Um but yeah, no, we um we got kicked out of school sort of in March and it kind of happened over like a three day weekend. Like that that was how sort of like um, dramatic it was. And mm. it was sort of like everyone like come to the studio, grab your stuff and go. And like, we don't know what's going to happen to your thesis show and like what's going to happen going forward. Um, and so 
I, for me, I was like, oh, and there was like lockdown. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I still need to work and I still need to paint. Um, and then we just moved a lot of stuff from the living room. It was like, I want to say it was like 200 square foot, maybe like, yeah. And uh, it sort of became the studio for a little, which I think for like people in the real world, they're like, you're a psycho. <laughs> um, but I was, it was like a really interesting experience. And then like, you know, at seven or six or 7 PM, you'd hear like clap for care for the workers from like outside your window mm. and people like banging pots and pans. So it was like mm. painting in the studio. And then like that would happen every night. And, um, yeah, just making do, I guess. There's something I really love about your work, which is the fact that I feel like you really bring us into your world, almost like we're in the room with you, which is kind of why I was referencing that idea of family, because whenever I saw the painting Chinese takeout, I always felt like I was on the other side of the table with you and your boyfriend and your dog um, with the amazing chopsticks in the dog's paw. I mean, it's just the most genius moment in a painting. And even on the shelf behind, there was a reference to the whole COVID pandemic because you had a little tiny blue mask. Um, but I really feel like there's a kind of openness in the work and this very like alive kind of way that you create the, fi the figuration, like the actual people within it. It's almost like they're just told you a joke or they're about to tell you a joke or they're sort of telling you a secret or something that, you know, may maybe you're not aware of yet. Is that something that you are aware of as a painter or is it just like, is that just your style? Is that like an approach that you have trying to kind of make them quite sort of animated in a way and alive? Um... Well, first of all, that was very generous. <laughs> I was like, it's really nice to hear about people like talk about your work. Um, I feel like, you know, that's kind of hard. I don't think I think about the audience as much when I'm making the painting. Um, I feel like for me, it's just like these little, like, I don't know, not like coincidence or like things happen. And I'm like, oh, this would make like a great painting. Like um, we got like Chinese takeout one day and there were like these fortune cookies and I just was like oh fortune cookies are so weird because like they're here everywhere but then like in Asia like you go to a restaurant and like no one will give you a fortune cookie um and then like I also just like remember reading about like the history of like the birth of the fortune cookie and like one of the like I want to say one of the first like Chicago world's fairs um you know when they had like a Chinese pavilion in like Chicago and that was sort of like a, I don't know, that was more like an exotic perspective being like, oh, look, this is like what Asia looks like from the outside. Um, but no, I don't know. I sometimes feel like the paintings are a bit like Alice in Wonderland-y. Um, mm. It's got that sort of, I don't know, maybe a little like childish, maybe like too cute sometimes or something. But um, Never yeah, I feel cute. like we that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. I, I, what, what, what Rob's saying, Rob's take from it, I, I find them, they feel quite uncomfortable at times, the characters. They feel that they're, they're, they're sat there and they look quite vulnerable. They're in strong stances, but they, to me, feel like they're, and I, I guess it's because you have a lot of strangers sit for you. There is like a vulnerability and, and an awkwardness that they have in your characters. The figures do carry this through. Yeah, well, I really, I don't know. I feel like painting is sort of like a lie that like tells the truth. Um, and like, so when you first look at it, it's just like, I don't know, you're like, oh, some things are like made up or whatever. But then like, if you look closer, you're like, um, it's like, I don't know, maybe some artists are better at it, but I'm really bad at like hiding. Um, or it's just kind of like, or I like I'm an overshare. Actually, someone in college once gave me like the Little Miss Overshare book for my birthday. And I was like, 
I was like, should I be offended? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, vulnerability. I think, well, working with sitters, I think because you're placed in a position where it's like all about you, it does start to feel performative. And sometimes I feel like when you're putting someone on the spot, like they can't, it's like awkward and it kind of forces you to sort of like, like make confessions. Yeah, well, it's like therapy, isn't it? I guess when you're with a yeah. sitter. No, yeah. for sure. Totally. Um, I think like, I think something that I find difficult is that um, when I talk to all the sitters, like, because like I'm not a trained therapist um so then I really do wake up a lot of mornings and I'm like I wonder what this person's doing I wonder how this person is feeling um and just like learning like going because like the list has started to build up of all the people that I've worked with um and just learning that like going forward like you can't be everyone's friend otherwise it kind of just like it's like you can only give so much of yourself Mm -hmm. um but yeah, that's that's like a new thing that I'm like figuring out how to like go about. But you, what I love though is that you are allowing this vulnerability and awkwardness to come through in the painting when you're talking to your sitters, but also you're talking about your sharing stories. So much of the background, this your your works always feel so coded. There's so many things in there that you might understand, you might not understand, you'll get, but it's all very autobiographical. But when you are with your sitters, the background is telling the story, the landscapes, which actually was your how you started painting was landscapes, right? But the landscapes that appear in the background of your works come from stories that these strangers, these sitters, have told you that you then allow to become part of these works. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So for like an example, I would think of maybe as I did this painting of a policeman um, in my current show, and he's um, an Asian cop who lives in like upstate New York. Um, and, when, and when we're on Zoom, I start like painting his face and he like tells me stories. Um, and then like through Zoom, I find out that he's a night he's a night officer and he works like the 11 p.m. to like 8 a.m. shift. And so then the oh, wow. painting in my mind initially is like a daytime painting something like switches into a nighttime painting. And then, you know, like then I learned that he's the only officer um, who's allowed to ride his like a motorbike. And he's like super proud of that. And then suddenly like a bike becomes part of the story. And then they start sharing images of like where they work. And he's like, this is the police station. And like, you know, uh, this is like the entrance and stuff. And then so like slowly over Zoom, like all these things start to come together. But the difficult or like it's actually quite anxious because, you know, when you first start, I have no idea like what to expect. Um, And you just like don't know what's going to happen. I mean, even with like there is a painting in here of this girl who's like wearing a beauty pageant sash. And when I first like met her, I had no idea that like apparently there's like Asian beauty pageants in every state in the like the United States, like. Um, and I was like, and they all run for like Miss Asian America. And that was like something I had no idea. And so then I was like talking to her, like, I always like start by painting their face. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen to the painting. Um, and then I learned that like, these pageants are things that she goes to. And like, um, I was like, hey, like, would you ever participate in one? And she's like, oh, I'm actually like not in the age range. Like, I'm no longer eligible. I think it's like 16 to like 20 year olds or something. Yeah. Um and um, and then I just like kind of noticed from conversations like there was like this desire of like wanting to be in one because if you go to so many, you know, as a spectator um, 
And and then she became like a beauty pageant queen, like in the painting. And so yeah, there's a lot of like Has going she seen with it? the flow. Has, Has she, she seen, seen the painting? It? Yeah. Um, you know what? I was I feel like some okay, actually this is on my to do list this week where I like send all the sitters their painting images. Um, I've been meaning to do that sooner, but it's just been so hectic on my end. So I think a lot of sitters are like seeing their paintings for the first time because like the show just opened. Um, and yeah, some people like have been sending me like freak out texts or something, but, wow. um, I did have like one sitter. Um, he was a nurse, he's a COVID nurse. Um, and he actually like flew all the way to LA to see the show. And I was kind oh. of mind. Yeah. I was a little mind blown by that when I like met him in person at the opening. Was he pleased? Is he happy? Yeah, no, I think, um, it's, it's just like the whole thing is like a bizarre, like, yeah. cause like you're a stranger and you sit on zoom for three or four hours with another stranger. And then like, and then you come to an art show. So I think for some people, it's just like a total, like crazy experience that they're a part of. I love that. How do you find them? How do you find these sitters? Because I've read that there's certain forums you go on. Uh, There's a Facebook group uh, called subtle Asian traits, which has its private group, 1.9 million followers uh, that all are all on forums and they're talking about different, issues how these places you access is there the the rules you set for yourself of where you can find your sitters yeah honestly I just feel like I'm a little bit of a cyber stalker at this point (laughs) um I I don't know there's a lot of things that happen actually no so I feel like my Facebook you know like when you're constantly looking at particular themes your Facebook starts to generate and so I think my Facebook is extremely biased right now. Like, I think I clicked on like a couple of like feminist articles and now it thinks like I'm just like only interested in like Asian Americans and like feminism or something. And so sometimes I have to log on someone else's like Facebook or Instagram just to see stuff that isn't like super like um, streamlined into like a little box corner. So I actually get recommended like a lot of like different groups to join just because my Facebook is so like it became like so specific algorithmly. Yes. Um, but I mean, some Facebook groups that I have, you know, sort of found sitters from include things like, I remember when COVID first started, like there was this thing that people were doing online where you could like adopt a nurse and like a nurse would like post on Facebook, like five things they wanted on Amazon. And then like, you could like be like, Oh, I'll adopt you. I'll send you five things. Um, and so that was how, like, I got in touch with like a nurse who was working during COVID. I was like, Oh, you could adopt a nurse, you know, (laughs) people were, what did she want? What did she want of Amazon? What did you get her? Um, no. So like, um, you know, people would like, I don't know, they wanted things like, I don't know, like an apron or just like gifts, basically. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> gifts. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, or like, um, you know, when I made the bubble tea painting, I joined like a Facebook group called like Boba Tea Lovers. And then I met this girl who works at like a Kung Fu Tea in San Antonio, Texas. And then I just like sort of messaged her on um, Facebook and was like, hey, would you sit for my painting? Um, I think timing is also something, you know, like I think because a lot of people were trapped at home, like this sort of gave them something to do. I feel like if we weren't at a time where we're all trapped at home, this show probably would have been difficult to like happen, you know, like Mm. painting over Zoom. Um, And then like, I don't know, like I also like Googled like um, 
sort of like um i remember reading about like asian like they were forming like these asian police cop groups because like the hate crimes had gotten so bad mm-hmm. um and then i discovered there are like a ton of like asian police fraternities like across the state and they mm-hmm. they host like local get togethers to support each other like when it comes to like recruiting police officers and stuff so yeah just wow. kind of stumble and stalk <laughs> And actually, in this in this night gallery show, there's a central piece which, to me, seems like the largest work you've ever made. It's like 78 by 120 inches, and it's called "Stop Asian Hate" um, from this year. Can you speak a bit about that painting? Because obviously, that's a central kind of moment in the show, both physically, but also, I think, um, uh, you know, with the ideas behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I feel like, well, I think for me, like when COVID first started. Um, you know, like I was just talking to like friends or like my mom came home one day from the supermarket and she was like, oh yeah, these people were like yelling at me to like go back to China. And then like, I was like talking to my professor on zoom, like Tomas, and he was saying how like he was at a gas station, you know, um, and these people were like shouting like these really rude things at him. And then, so at the beginning for me, I was like, wow, I'm like noticing these things happening to like people who are close to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I wonder what it's like just across the whole, like across country or like in places where you're not in a big city, you know? Um, And then, so then I started like sort of just like following like news online and just like, there's like a lot of like, you know, just anti-Asian hate crime news, mostly reported on like smaller local news channels, Mm -hmm. but they were like happening every week. And um, for me, like when the Atlanta shootings happened, that was like a whole year later, like March 2021. And then I had a lot of like other friends who called me and was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. This is the first time I've like been hearing about it. And like to me, that was like interesting because I was like, wow, this has actually been going on for a whole year. But like mainstream news media is like really only covering it like a whole year later. Um, And I think there are also like um, a lot of stock Asian hate um, rallies and movements just happening across different cities across the U.S. Um, And, you know, like I went to a couple myself, like I went to one in Foley Square in New York that was pretty big and like one in Boston and then like a smaller local one in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, But I think for me, what is interesting is I think like our parents' generation, like a lot of people come from... um, like, I don't, like, war, basically, you know, a lot of people immigrated to the States because of, like, some sort of war situation, like, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, um, or, like, coming out of, like, um, communist China, um, and so, like, the parents' generation, like, no one wants, like, speak up, you know, against racism, and I think a lot of people, like, live, live, you know, like, just daily lives encounter it. it. It just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think, yeah, the rallies were interesting for me because it was like a whole new, like the demographics were so specific. It's like young people and like millennials and Gen Z. Um, and I don't know, I was just like really touched by, you know, this there's like a new generation who's like not afraid to voice out. And I think mm-hmm. like sometimes like Asians are stereotyped to be seen as like submissive and quiet. Um, and yeah, I I was just like, oh, I would love to make a painting about this. Um, and so, like, the painting sort of didn't come from, like, photographs. It was more just, like, memories of, like, people standing in particular places at these rallies mm. or, like, scenes oh, so that I remember. So you didn't have sitters for this one? This was all imagined? 
No, no, no. I did have sitters, but uh-huh. um, like where people were positioned sort of came from like memory. Uh-huh. Um, and then I invited like local sort of just like um, like people who live in the neighborhood to like participate. So it was like you could still be part of a rally, but like not in the form of like like the large community, like large gathering, but like in a small sort of intimate way in the studio yeah. or something. You're talking about the um, the Atlanta spa shootings, and uh, I think one of the most powerful paintings I've seen of yours is uh, March 16th, Remembrance Mums, which is uh, a still life of eight white chrysanthemums, uh, and chrysanthemums um, are representative of loss, of, of, of used to funerals and everything, and this is for like a memorial piece because you was unable to get out to Atlanta to lay flowers yourself because the spa became like a memorial. Uh, but this was your offering to that horrific event. Yes. Yeah, that was a really... Um, I just remember that week I was like very... Like usually, you know, I don't know. I think that week I was particularly disturbed like, you know, I've been following hate crimes for a year already, so I was already disturbed. But that that week, I felt really quite like, you know, I woke up every morning with like butterflies in my stomach. And I was like following this news, like obsessively, almost like daily. And I was just like, why? Why is this like, um, I don't know, affecting me so much? Um, and also just like remember, like, you know, that week, like going out to like, sh- like a supermarket or shopping mall, like I had a hood up all week because. I was just like, oh, I just don't want to be seen, you know, like, um, but yeah, I made that painting and I, I was, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I ended up like donating all the proceeds of that painting to the victims and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a hard painting to talk about, but I'm not really like, I, I feel like I haven't even like totally processed it in a weird way, but oh. I just wanted to do something. No, like it's, I it's just It's incredible. That's why I highlight it. It's incredible and I think it's the title, the fact that they're chrysanthemums and it's mums for short and most of the victims were mothers and it's 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 a really powerful piece. So mm. but it's a sensitive yeah. Yeah. It's also tough, as a painting, I think about. it's a, a beautiful composition, that yeah. painting. I love the notepad on the on the table. I think it's just the whole perspective of it, you know, just as an artwork. It's a really be- be- beautiful work. Can we talk a bit about um, this idea of the self-portrait? Because that's another theme that that recurs within within your practice in recent times, um, including a kind of nude self-portrait that you did, which I loved the um, commentary on Instagram, which you were talking about the awkwardness and the kind of cringe-making um, nature of painting yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I just think it's, I mean, I wanna, like it's funny because in like, like history of painting there are so many nude women but it's like mostly painted by men and so they're really like elevated in this really beautiful idealistic way and for some reason I thought when I painted myself I would feel that way too (laughs) like oh like (laughs) you know you'd be like you can like make yourself really beautiful um but I was actually inspired by so like across from our window like in our apartment there's like this old man who like is pretty much always naked all the time 
And like, you would really like see him go to the bathroom. And I'm just like, well, it's COVID. He's naked all the time. Like, I don't think it matters if he sees me naked all the time. But I think there was like a day where I just like waved at him from the window and he like waved back. And you were both both naked at this point? Yeah, 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 totally. (laughs) And this is like an old man. Like, I want to say he's like in his like 70s or 80s. But uh, he clearly does not care because he's pretty much like naked all the time. Um, But yeah, so I just like, I was like in my living room like locked down like naked there's like a mirror but I just remember when I was like painting myself I was like oh like oh I didn't know I had like moles there you know and then I was like wait is this a tick and then I was like picking at it and I was like oh no just kidding it's actually a mole um, is this a or- tick <laughs> yeah. and you've been in lockdown for how long it's been sucking on your arm for like yeah, weeks totally, weeks. totally. <laughs> um, or just like I was like oh definitely quarantine 15 definitely gained some weight you know um, but I'm glad I did it. And I have like very conservative, like family members or just, you know, like, um, you know, just like a family who doesn't come from the art world. And I think they were just like really offended by this painting. They were like, you have to burn it. Like no one can see this. Like, like it's embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think all my uncles and aunts were like, oh, this is like tragic. Like, I can't believe you made this. But then wow. I was like, no, no, this is going out into the world. I'm like pretty proud of it. <laughs> it's amazing. So have you your family seen your art has your family seen your art in person yet? Um, this is kind of well, actually that's kind of crazy. My mom is the only person who has seen my like work in person, just like, you know, like from going to like a show at school and like or like this show. But most of my family you know, still live in Asia and they come like, you know, my parents came from like really poor families. And so like the art world is not like, it's just like such a big gap, you know, like I get people who ask me, especially like I get a lot of sitters who ask me, it's like, oh, do I have to, like, how much is it to come to your show? Like they think you have to pay like an admission ticket and you're like, oh no, it's free. And they're like, it's free. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just like show up. Um, So then you realize like what a big disconnect there is. But uh, no, my family has not seen my paintings in person yet, except for my mom, um, probably my sister. Um, But, you know, I'm going to be painting for a long time. So there will be an opportunity. Do do they understand the the concept of your success? Because now you have like uh, a wait list for your work and there's a high demand and you're being reviewed in like the New York Times and lots of people are talking about you. Do they they understand that how exciting that is? Um. No, I think, no, I think, and I think that's actually a good thing. Like, I remember, like, one time I told them, I was like, hey, Jerry Saltz, like, posted about me on his Instagram. And they're just like, who's that? And I'm just like, that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, it's Keeps been, you down to earth. It's good. Yeah, totally, totally. And also, yeah. I'm, like, learning a lot of, like, just, like, a lot of things, too. Just, like, I don't know, like, going through this. Or, you know, like the wait list thing. Like, I was like, I don't really understand how this works. Um, like, that kind of thing. So I'm just, like, learning a lot of new things as I go along about, like, I don't know, art world, art world hierarchies. And um, and also for me, it's like, I feel like knowledge is power. And right now I'm kind of, like, lacking. So sometimes I, like, don't even know, like, how to, like, go about things. But, again, like, I'm going to be hopefully doing this for a long time. So, you know, taking up as I go along. And also, I think it follows that theme I was talking about in the introduction about family, because I think your the art world and your artist friends and also the galleries that you connect with and are working with 
um, are kind of there to support you too. And I love this idea of, of family because particularly in your work, the way you kind of take us as viewers like on a journey with you because, you know, we have the painting of you um, on your graduation. You know what I mean? Like all the way through to like you in your kitchen or bathroom, I'm not sure, but I think it's your kitchen where you where you have the um, cucumber on your eye, you know, and you're talking about mental health and all these kind of very personal topics. But I'm really love that idea that that it's almost like we're all kind of growing together like through your paintings or something yeah no that's yeah that's nice I mean I feel like paintings are like diaries too you know mm. like um I'm just like like even working with sitters it's like oh I met this person today and I learned this about them and I'm just like oh this is what happened in my week this week um so yeah there's definitely like a diarist diaristic journalistic element to it and I mean like graduation like we didn't really have like a graduation and so I kind of am really glad I made that painting because I was like I did go to my graduation I didn't have a cap and gown but I painted myself in one and I graduated so yeah it was kind of funny like that yeah that's brilliant I love the uh energy in your works Susan because they have this I mean, I, I can see a lot of Alice Neil in there and you definitely cite your art heroes in a lot of works when we come to one in a moment. But like Alice Neil, they have a kind of homely sitting feel. All of Alice Neil's works feel they're like in her house. You can actually get the sense of it, even if, if there's a chair, but even if it's, it's lacking furniture or background, it's a homely feel. And you have that, so there's a sort of um, recognition in them and, and, and a warmth in, in your work. Yeah, I feel, I don't know if you guys got to see it, but Alice Neal did have an exhibition at the Met, uh, like, this summer. I think it might still be up. I'm actually not sure. Um, But it was really great to get to see her work in person. And that homely feel, like, when I was at the show, I was like, you're right. You can really, like, it feels like we were just in your living room because you can, like, smell it from the paintings. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, um yeah, no, I think that's, yeah, no, something I remember reading about Alice Neal, which I thought was, like, really interesting, was that, like, um, in order to get to her studio, like, her sitters would have to walk through her kids' bedrooms in order to get to the studio, yes. and so I think her kids were a little bit traumatized, because just, like, growing up, all these people were, like, coming in and out, or, like, she'd make them sit for her naked, but they were, like, you know, like, old, like, they were, like, 17 or 15 or something, um, but, yes, homely feel. No, I'm glad that is coming across in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your, your art heroes are, are, again, cited in a lot of your works, and there's an amazing painting you reference Jerry Sorts you're actually reading Jerry Sorts's book how to be an artist it's a, a painting that you did in 2020 called streetcars of desires and it's you sat there on what looks like a rug but it's like a little pink island and you're reading this book but in the background in the window there's all these um like train carts and in the front there's a train cart but on each of the carts is an artist's name who is one of your heroes yeah yeah um you know it was like the start of lockdown, that book had just come out and it was very like motivating um, to have get a copy of that book like during that time. And Same. I remember, yeah, there is a page in there. I can't remember which page it is, but it's called like Streetcars or something. But basically, I mean, I didn't even like come up with this idea really, but it was just like make a drawing with like a bunch of streetcars with like all the artists who like influenced this year uh like influenced you Mm -hmm. this year and then like you could do it like every year if you wanted and I thought I was like oh that's like such a poetic um it's like 
I don't know, like in the studio, like one of my favorite quotes is this Philip Gustin quote. Mm. And it's basically like when you're in the studio, like you have all these people around you, including like all the people who influence you. And they're always like whispering at your ear or whatever. Um, And then but like if you're really painting, like all these people kind of like go away, like they leave the room. Um, and I think yeah, it's, edit- I've got it here. I've got it here from one of you. It says when you're in the studio yeah. painting, there are a lot of people in there with you, your teachers, friends, painters from history, critics. And one by one, if you're really painting, they walk out. Yeah, totally. I love that quote. And I think really when you are, I mean, those days are like still pretty, they, they come rarely. But I think when you're really, really painting, like you entered this weird like meditative zone and you just kind of like disappear into like you're like no longer in reality. Um, and wow. I, I think the best paintings come when you're like in that place. And the problem with working with sitters is that you can't be in that place. You so can't go I'm to always trance, like yeah, because you're communicating because you're performing with them to get information and to keep them like alert and everything. Totally, totally. So like there are times where I'm like, oh, I wonder like this painting is probably not the best painting can ever be because you're like never actually in that zone. Wow. So the big breakthrough for you, though, was you went to see an artist's exhibition in Bilbao at the Guggenheim that changed everything for you. Totally, totally. Yes. Um, I, I don't know, like I said, I have like kind of traditional parents. They were like, we didn't like pay all this money to send you to an Ivy League school so that you could be an artist and like make drawings. Um, and then so like in junior year of college, I like had gone to Bilbao it was like a study trip, like a like sort of like a you know like off semester study trip. And I remember seeing like David Hockney's like the super large landscapes, you know, the ones that you can like walk into. And I was just like totally mind blown. And then after that, I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna double major. I'm gonna do painting. I'm gonna like make it all happen, you know. Um, so, but yeah, no, that show totally changed my life. And I think. And I think that's why, like, painters should, you know, like, I think paintings have the ability to do that, you know? Like, yeah. totally change someone's life. But you started with landscapes after that. That's how the painting happened and then went on to portraiture. Yeah, totally. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I guess landscapes, um, yeah, it's just like, it's kind of got that Alice in Wonderland thing again, you know, you like mm. can go wherever you want to go. Um, and I feel like for me, it's like these journeys or like, you know, the kids who like go to Narnia and they like go through all this craziness. And then when they come out, they're like a different person. But then like where they end up is exactly where they started. And I feel like Alice in Wonderland is that. I feel like Dr. Seuss is kind of like that. Um, and yeah, it's like, you go through these landscape paintings and then when you come out, you're like basically in your studio, like you haven't left, but like your perspective is a little different. It's kind of like a portal into another reality that is your reality. That's kind of full on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's a painting that you made in April or around that time of you um, kind of washing your hands and you've got loads of um, you know, like uh, hand soap on um, shelves. And I love that. It's my favourite painting by you. Um, and I love that kind of imagined like bathroom mirror being this kind of glass window or chapel arch. It's like a church, and, yeah. Yeah. Can you speak a bit about, about that work in particular, just because it's one of my faves? Yeah, no, that painting was actually really, like really fun to make. Um, and I actually did go to like a Walmart, <laughs> like a Walmart <laughs> super center to like um, pick up a lot of like, you know, like get some inspiration of the different soaps. Um, oh, cool. And I just bottles and colors and everything. Yeah. I'm surprised that was all still there because everyone was like know, stockpiling. So you were able yeah. to get a few selections. Yeah, it's it was like all the like, no, I, I'll tell you what, why I thought it was funny is because there were so many different soaps. However, there's only certain soaps that are actually antibacterial and like uh. disinfecting. So like the soaps that were kind of left over were like all the ones that were like, you know, like um, it doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> you know, it just smells just nice. like fragrance. It just smells, it smells nice. nice. Totally. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I um, I actually did buy like quite a few. And I just remember at the checkout counter, the like the Walmart like sales lady was like, you know, you can get like six packs where they're like all the same for like way cheaper. Right. And I was like, no, they all have to be different. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had a receipt. And this is like really bad because I did end up like returning a lot of them. And I think this lady was just like, what the hell? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's probably good, though, because otherwise it just goes to waste, doesn't it? Yeah. But um, I love that painting because I feel like you're about to disclose something. Like there's something about even though you've got the mask on, Mm. I feel like you're about to like while you're washing your hands kind of whisper something to us. There was something about that energy in your work which is really compelling for me yeah I mean I think like I I remember purposely shaping the window like a chapel window because it was like a time where like you know like soaps and like cleanliness are like the only things that are going to save you right now or something Mm. but also I just think like women in general are sort of brought up kind of to be like thinking like that almost all the time Mm. that's just like the society just expects you to be like clean or like shave your armpits, you know, like um, to be just like pristine all the time. And I feel like that also creates like a lot of pressure or just like how you go into the world is a little different. Mm. Um, But yeah. Yeah. COVID and soaps. (laughs) (laughs) How long do your paintings take? Um, I try to make a painting a week, but I am learning that to slow down like it's good to slow down um and yeah it's good to slow down just for like your mental health you know why what and what would you mean in what way um i think for me like you know there's some artists who like will spend like a whole year on a painting but they'll work on multiple paintings at a time i feel like the way i work is just like i just just like one painting after it just feels like diary pages um and actually like working slow is like counterintuitive to me but i think it it would be healthy for me to just like um be able to like 
think more, just, I don't know, give myself more time to be like more intentional or something. I guess you, but you're driven because you're having ideas. You're just having loads and loads of ideas and you sketch a lot. I've seen a lot of your, I own a sketch of yours, which is, I love. Yeah, I love that one. I do. A little drawing of Kalima. That's as yeah, totally. He was a sitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's wearing a hat with math on, which we'll have to get to because uh, I want you to talk about that. But um, these these paintings of yours, you've got lots of ideas, but there's a, in your manifesto or a manifesto of yours is you say, I paint in search for the meaning of home. What does that, what does that mean and what is home? Yeah, that is a big question. <laughs> Um, no, I think, um, I sort of, I think I just had a very, like, um, like I moved around a lot as a child, um, and also just grew up. So like I grew up in Hong Kong until I was 12 and Hong Kong was coming out of like British colonization at the time. Um, and so, you know, just like you notice a lot of hierarchy, like I noticed a lot of hierarchies, like growing up, like, you know, if you spoke English, you wouldn't get a parking ticket. If you spoke English, you could live in like certain areas, like certain neighborhoods that like, you know, regular Chinese people were like not allowed to live in. Or like, if you are like, coming from Hong Kong versus if you're coming from like mainland China, for example, there's a lot of like on the ground racism. Um, and then I sort of, my parents like want, made sure I went to like, um, you know, they like wanted me to go to like a British school where I could like learn English so that, you know, when you come back, like you just are able to get a, like a, a job, you know, like a, like a better job like that kind of thing. Um, and then I spent a lot of time, I actually lived in England for like, I want to say nine years. You went to boarding and, school here, didn't you, from the age of 12? Yeah, it was totally crazy. No, it was like kind of like accidental, but yeah, I did. And, you know, like for me, I was one of like the only like minorities like in my year. There's probably like three or, you know, like in a class of 60, there's like maybe like three or four of you. And so you really like notice like, so I remember I was like in the dining room one day and I like picked up my bowl of soup and I was like drinking it out of the bowl because that's what you did at home. And then I got like sent out of the dining room because it's like you're not using a spoon. Um, and so like, you know, you learn to like assimilate really quickly and just mm. sort of thinking. I mean, and then and then I came to America for college and in America, like the way race is talked about in the news is just like so different from like other parts of the world. Um, it's just very apparent, you know, it's like in the news every day. Um, so for me, it's just like, I think it's like, you like see yourself in a particular way. Like maybe you're like, oh, like I'm just like a human who like has had the privilege of living in all these places. But I think like the outside world like would prefer to like box you into like, cause they're like, oh, I don't really understand you. You know, you're like, they like, I feel like society sometimes wants to like, put you into these boxes so that it's like easy to understand you and like easy to label you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think painting is like a, there is like that constant sort of like, I don't know, dialogue of like who you are versus like who the world wants you to be. So it's a search for Mm -hmm. identity, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of like Asian kids who like live in the Western diaspora, like really struggle with that. And I think that's why like subtle Asian traits, the Facebook group, has 1.9 million people in it because I think that everyone is sort of like toying with that. Like I am this, but the world wants me to be X. Um, mm. And like, how do you like 
come to terms with that or just come to terms with it yourself. And I well, feel there like- is a gap in the representation, isn't there, of of uh, East Asian people in art and what you're doing is is a gift for you know representation for diversity and that, and that also feels like it's a it's a massive uh, push as for your practice that's what drives you yeah totally and I think just like going forward like international like you see how fast COVID spread and like international travel and I think the world is just going to become like more and more sort of like integrated you know mm. like even just like racially like I remember like I think it was National Geographic like came out with a cover of like what America will look like in 2050 and like it's like everyone's like mixed race or something mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's an interesting time to be alive totally you know I was thinking last night I actually posted a picture on my Instagram of um, Frida Kahlo's painting where she cut all her hair off after having broken up with Diego Rivera and um you see kind of like scissors in her hand and um all the bits of hair kind of on the floor around her. And I'd been looking at some of your work and there's the painting that's in the new show called I Am Not the Kung Flu. Um, And for me, what really excites me is that I feel like art has the power you know, you as an artist can make these images that are so relevant to that moment in time politically. And um, can you talk a bit about that painting? Because I know that was kind of inspired by numerous experiences of kind of Asian hate and racism that were experienced not just by you necessarily, but also through the sitters that you were speaking Mm. to. So those kind of communications, because I think it's a really good thing for people to remember the the power of painting in, you know, in, in this way for social change. Yeah, so I was reading, you know, just online how there's like, there was this uptick of like Asian Americans buying guns um, to protect Mm. themselves. And like, I remember on in a Facebook group, I saw this post that this lady made, which at first, like, you're like, that's kind of funny, of just like all these things that you could buy to protect yourself. And you're like, and it's just like pepper gel, pepper spray, like all these personal alarms, um, like bear spray. And when, when, when I first saw the post, I was like, that's pretty funny. But then you see there's like, there's like hundreds of comments and like you click on it and people are like actually buying these things or sharing like what they've bought and like where to get on sale items for some of these. And then like Googling on Amazon or being on Amazon, I was like, I remember like the first, there was like a bestseller and it was like a small handgun. And I don't know if it was like a real handgun or like some sort of like BB, like, you know, a pretty powerful gun. Mm. But I remember seeing like, there was like 20, 20,000 five star reviews and it was only like $66. And I was like, wow, you can like buy a gun like on Amazon and get it primed to your house in two days now. Um, And um, it's like one of those, and then just like reading like sort of, it kind of felt like a survey of like what people were buying during this time um, because they were like so afraid of like being assaulted, whether it's like actually being assaulted, living in neighborhoods that um, have high crimes or like personal Mm. paranoia. Um, And so I just, I wanted to make a painting about that. And, um, and also just like, because I was living in Connecticut at the time, I actually had like three friends they were like, hey, is it okay if I get this like pocket knife sent to your address? Because like it's illegal to get it sent in like Massachusetts or New York, but it's like mm. not illegal in Connecticut. So then like I remember like just like opening my mailbox and I like got like a knife like mailed to me. And I was just like, wow, I got like knives mailed to me during this time. It's kind of crazy. Um, crazy. But um, 
Yeah, so I, I wanted to make a painting sort of like documenting like some of the things that people, that Asian Americans were buying at this time. And one of the things I stumbled upon that I thought was interesting was like, there were people who were buying like these feng shui mirrors. It like deflects bad energy. You put and it in I the was, front door, don't you? Is it that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I was like, oh, like people are, it's just like a cultural, like it's just fascinating. You're like, oh, this is something that people are also buying, you know? Um, and then I, it was the last painting I made in the show. And, you know, I wanted to add the zoom buttons because that was, I felt like that was how I was like interacting with most of my sitters. Um, I think time, people, so. people, can spend a lot of time in front of your paintings because there's lots of things to decipher and unravel and and it reminds me who is also your uh contemporary from uh columbia which is a former talk art guest and was also in the show in margate breakfast under the tree which i curated called oscar yee ho and you're really good friends and the elements in his work is that it makes you spend a lot of time in it because there's lots of codes in there there's lots of messages things that he wants you to understand things that he's not interested in you understanding there for him and i feel like it's the same there are the same elements in your work that you you follow those themes yeah no okay so oscar is, and i are in this residency right now called silver yeah. art project i haven't met so i haven't sorry. seen him yet um but I'm, I'm sure i'll run into him very soon but we did take this pain class together when we were at Columbia with Michael Berryhill. So I don't know if you know Michael Berryhill's paintings, but if you see his paintings, you can see like the resemblance coming from like Oscar's paintings too, like in a, in a really great way. But uh, no, he's, he's great. I, he's like, um, I think it's, it's very like, it's difficult to be an artist like at a young age. And I think he's really like, you know, like acing it, you know? So there's a lot of respect, like a lot of respect. Um, but um, yeah, totally symbolism. I don't know. I feel like it may have happened like by accident, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that that um, residency that you're a part of, which is in the World Trade kind of complex. Um, can you speak a bit about how important having people believe in you when you're emerging like you are? Because, for example, you also had the um, the Hopper Prize um, not long ago, and you, you've kind of had moments where people have kind of said, you know we think you're great, keep going. you know, keep doing what mm. you're doing. Um, how important has that been for you, that kind of encouragement? Um, I think it's, um, I feel very lucky and I'm, I'm very grateful. I feel very lucky. Um, I, I think the part where I notice it makes a huge difference for me is when I approach sitters, they'll be like, oh, like you, you know, you're being like sort of like, I don't want to say like backed, but then people are more like, um, it's just like easier for them to be like, yeah, I would love to be painted by you. And so I think having mm -hmm. those supporters has been really great for like allowing me to paint or like work with people that I want to, that might, you know, like maybe like if I didn't have the sort of support, like people would not be as interested or something. Mm -hmm. um, I think also though, being a sitter must be quite a vulnerable thing in itself. A yeah. Bit like you're making yourself vulnerable when you're painting yourself. For them, it's probably quite a scary thing, particularly if you're talking about you know, political issues, mm. you know, personal issues, all of these things. So I think maybe to almost be legit, you know what I mean? <laughs> to be like validated by some kind of art system or what have you. Maybe yeah. it does just give people more confidence. Totally. Yeah. Like, for example, like in the fall, um, I'm working with a nonprofit organization called Apex for Youth. And um, where it's a it's a program where they connect like um, um, 
serve uh, adults, mentors with like middle school, high school, Asian students who come from low income families. And I feel like a project like that, like I definitely was only, I won't say like I was only able to get it, but I was able to like do something like that because like I had so much support from, you know, like other sort of like people or organization institutions. Um, and, um, but I think it, it's very, I think it's very hard to be an artist. So especially like a young artist and to be able to like do this full time is, it's pretty surreal. So yeah, no, I'm very grateful for the support. It's like, That's I think great. it is very important. Yeah, totally. That support has to be there for emerging artists. Can we just talk about materials quickly? You paint on canvas. Yes. Do you, do you buy it, stretch it yourself? Is it primed? Um, I used to build, I used to like cut the wood and build all my canvases by myself, stretch them and everything. Um, I don't do that anymore because it's like, it's quite like hard on your hands and stuff. Um, now, like I have a friend who makes the canvases for me. He happens to be like the wood shop monitor guy at um, FIT. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's been great. He's so he's helped me make a lot of canvases. And then when I get them, I sort of like do the oil prime like myself on my like you know like two coats of like oil prime or something and uh and then it's just like oil paint and like linseed oil and like galcon but it's not just it's not just oil paint with you because that's why i think your work so interesting is the visceralness of it the 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 reason i was you know that animation i was describing or the kind of aliveness of the figures it's all because of this kind of impasto like the heavy application of paint and it could almost just be paint you know we spoke to ralph rugoff the other day from the hayward gallery the, the director there and he was saying how peter doig mentioned this idea of of paintings actually just being paint you know even if they are figurative and with yours they're alive you know there's like the blood is running through these these sitters because because of the way you apply paint where how did that that style in a way like grow and develop in your work yeah I um I look I mean okay so one of those like I one of those artists that like whenever I go to see it, I'm just like totally mind blown. Like Talar, I spent a lot of time just like up yes. close in front of Talar paintings, being like, how did he get them so thick and so luscious and so shiny? Um, like that's not varnish. That's like something he's like doing to the paint. And um, mm. Dana Schutz also has a way of making her paints like really, really thick. And that's kind of like where I want to go. But I am still sort of like figuring it out. It's like a science experiment. Like you have to keep playing around. And honestly, I'm like not there yet. I'm like not even close. And that's like something I want to go like I need to like keep sort of like exploring. Like how do they do that? There's like they're amazing. There's the the depths of them. And it it makes me think of a story I heard once about Frank Auerbach, who's a, a British painter and how he's his paint is so thick. And some of his paintings are like 50 years old and they will start coming up in the auctions. And when they're doing the tests on it, the paint hasn't even dried Dried. underneath the surface. The paint is still wet. It, yeah. it's taking so long to dry out. And I feel like your paintings have this sort of, you must never, like if anyone can ever get close to your work, they really need to look at the surfaces because you can't get it from images online. There is such a, a surface intensity and such a texture to your paintings. 
and a joy within it, I think. There's like, there's like this passion within it. So even if your, you know, your self-portraits as yeah. one, one theme might be introspective and might have a kind of tension to them or an intensity, I think there's still a vibrant joy in them, you know, because you can see how much you love painting. Totally, I, I do love painting. <laughs> like, I'll be at dinner sometimes and then I'll be like, googling like mediums or something and then people at dinner are like what are you doing I'm like oh my god I'm so sorry I'm so embarrassed um but yeah no I guess like uh, who's the other artist Mark Grochen I don't Grochen, think I'm pronouncing yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know how he uses like cake he uses these like cake tips to like do some of his paintings mm-hmm. um but I, I do love thick paintings actually I'm kind of frustrated because I feel like a lot of times when I'm making the paintings they're very like shiny and very thick and then what happens like over time is the painting dries and the turpentine kind of leaves and things actually like deflate a little and look really matte but that's one of those things that I'm like I'm gonna figure it out you know um and like, mm. what, what's it like for you now when when a work sells? So like the work that was in Margate has now gone to a collector, and then you don't get to see it again, you know, in the near future. How, how, how are you dealing with that? The kind of way the studio is maybe becoming emptier faster than it would have done before. Um, that's really interesting. No one's really asked me that. Um, I actually am not as attached to my paintings as people might think. I actually like with this show, I like was living with them for like nine months. And by the end, I was like, I just cannot look at these anymore. Like, am I and literally during Insta, I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing these again. I'm literally going to throw up. Like, um, so I don't know. I You're just, like, leave now. Yeah, I'm done. totally, totally. Go and, go and do you've your thing in up, the world. Get out. Totally. Yeah, you've grown up, get out. You've graduated. Yeah. Um, I think although sometimes I feel like for me like the landscape paintings I'm just like it doesn't matter anyone can collect them I don't really like mind um I'm very happy that all these paintings find homes too um I think with the figure paintings it starts to like there is like an element of ethics you know like sometimes with some paintings I'm like I just don't think this painting can be sold for a profit like you know Mm. there's a painting of a veteran in this show that I'm like I just cannot profit off this it's just not right um like Mm. so I'm like like that for example I like worked it out I was like I'm gonna donate it back to like the um the sort of veteran organization where I met um the sitter um so I think working with sitters you do have like I don't know I think of like ethics a lot or just like who um like who owns the work like could suddenly become important i'm like you know it's like oh i think it would be great if some asian american collectors could have these paintings in their homes especially if they have like kids because then it's like a way of like seeing yourself Mm. but like when i was painting landscapes i was like it doesn't you know like anyone it doesn't it didn't really like i didn't really have to think about that at all and i think mm. working with people there is like it adds a little element of like complication it's kind of a responsibility or something totally to the sitter yeah well i really recommend that everyone who doesn't know your work yet spend some time like looking into susan's um not just the work itself but also the kind of thoughts behind the work because things like that there's one that will obviously relate to russell but you did a painting of um tadashi who ended up becoming an actor for like nine years or something and there's all these amazing kind of narratives that are so sort of rich these these passionate stories Mm. behind the work well the the yang gang is uh, one that springs to mind. And that's what uh, Kalima, the drawing I have, was a study for the Yanglang. And they all have these hats with math written on. So a- Andrew Yang was uh, a Democratic uh, in the presidential race to become uh, president, the first Asian American for like 50 years or something crazy, wasn't it? Yeah. And you made this whole, this was a huge portrait you did 
of lots of characters with these hats on and the word math, which I can never really work out what it actually means. Yeah, I think the hat was supposed to be like a spoof on Trump's like Make America Great Again. But I think it stood for like, um, wait, hold on. Make Make Americans Think Harder. <laughs> we all need math hats we all need that let's all go and get yeah. them no. no um that's kind of but yeah no i think it was um for me i was like oh it's not every day that like an asian american like runs for president and i mean i've like th- thought about like and kamala harris as well um mm-hmm. but i think like i had gone to a couple like of signature gatherings you know um of rallies um sort of like these political um, you know, campaigns and stuff. And um, the demographics of people who were at this were really, really fascinating to me. Uh, a lot of people who are not politically active before sort of became politically active from this. Maybe it's because his ideas are so sort of like, I don't know, maybe too liberal, totally out there, a bit idealistic. Um, but yeah, I just, I was like, oh, you know, it's not every day that like, um, an Asian guy runs for president. Um, and I just sort of wanted to make a painting and it was like during like a voting year. Um, that was just like, it was like a way of participating in a way. That's great. And when you started it, he was still in the race. And when you were halfway through, he dropped out and suddenly you were like, yeah. oh, how do I change yeah. the painting? What do I do with this painting now? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That's so true. I'm so glad that you like got to read that. But yeah, I was like, I was like making this painting and halfway I was like, oh shit, like now what? And then suddenly it became like a really sad painting. Um, and also I like was painting, I remember painting like these buttons and like he had just done like New Hampshire and Iowa And then I sort of like added that into the painting. I was like, oh, those are the only places he got to. And then he dropped out. Um, But yeah, it was it was definitely I had a lot of fun making that painting, too. It feels like very far away right now. But I know it wasn't like that far. Yeah. Well, before we get into our last questions, I just want to ask you one more thing. In 2016, 2017, you were a studio assistant for Shara Hughes. Yes, that was the year. I had a year where it was like right before I went to art school and after my first job out of college where um, I spent the year working as an artist assistant and I um, I got to work for her, which I feel very, very grateful about because and also I got to work for like a couple of female artists who were at the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts. Um, I don't know if What's you know that? The, What's the Elizabeth? Yeah, I don't know that. They're, they're like a residency in this building in Midtown. There's like 70 artists in the building. Um, so it's, yeah, the only thing is it's in Manhattan. So like, you know, like you're, maybe you're like restricted size-wise on like what you can work with. Right. But um, I think definitely being in Shara's studio totally, it, like really, no, it totally like changed my life because it was the first time I was seeing like, oh, this is like what it's like to be a working artist. Um, and I was also just like very, um, like she would make like a painting a week and like, like I was just like, how can someone make work that fast and so intuitively? It was also a very fun studio to work with because she works with so many different colors. Mm. Um, well, there's a Hockney vibe through her landscapes, aren't there? Yeah. And her studio was like, like not in a bad way. It was like pretty small considering like the work she was making were so mm. large. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh, this, you know, like if she can make work in this space, it's like, you know, anyone should be able to make work in any space. 
You also um, witnessed her success as well because when you first started, she was kind of selling, and then in the process, that was kind of her kickoff year. So you're witnessing an artist suddenly having a lot of attention and want of her works of art, and they're getting flipped all over the place at auction and stuff. So that must have been quite an interesting thing to observe. Yeah, I think when I first started, she had just done like the Marlboro show, and like you know, it was like working with Rachel Ufner. And then it was like kind of crazy to be able to like go to the Whitney Biennial and be like, like, um, and then go to the studio like after that. And it definitely was different, you know. Um, so I feel really lucky I got to work with her and um, her boyfriend, Austin Eddy, also makes paintings. They're oh, both like, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. They both make, um, they're both very like inspired by Talar as well, but they're very nice. Like they're very like you know sometimes artists have like I mean as someone who like worked mm. for a lot of artists sometimes artists have like really big egos, but um, these guys are like really down to earth. So I actually met Shara because of Catherine Bernhardt. She was really good friends with her before Catherine was famous. So back in about 2013 or something, and they, Austin and her both came to London to meet me and we hung out. And then I went to Shara's studio when you must have been working there. No way. It was exactly that. It was exactly that time. Carl Friedman and I, yeah, Carl Friedman and I went to visit her because we wanted to show her. And Rachel had a big kind of solo show at the time, I think, or just maybe closed or something. And it was a time oh, where Rachel before she quite yes, Rachel Uffner, who's amazing. Um, and it was just before. She she'd kind of I think that show had sold out and then everyone was getting interested in her and I think we just caught her a bit late in a way but um but I, I love her work and it's interesting thinking about the color palette as well because she's such an amazing colorist you know if you think of some of the more recent painters that we've spoken to like uh, Alicia Scavage and Dorong Langberg but actually Shara Hughes is a great colorist mm-hmm. and I think you are too I think you have a natural mm-hmm. kind of approach to the way that you choose Palette, color yeah. you know and it can really make you feel different emotions you know it's a it's an interesting tool that in yeah. itself actually it's funny that reminds me in my grad school interview um with um gregory amanoff the the painter and um eliza mm. Niesenbaum. Mm. um i had submitted a portfolio of landscapes because that was what i was making at the time and in my grad school interview they're like you realize your paintings look like almost identical to hers right like you're basically copying her and I like was a bit like apologetic about that and I was like and that's why I'm coming to grad school because like I need to get out you know <laughs> totally um but find yeah find your own thing yeah. totally like find your own voice and stuff yeah. I guess that's the well, only danger about like that. working as an artist assistant is like your work could totally morph into like their work because you see their work so much yeah, and it's working. It's like at, people are getting it and appreciating it, and you're like, oh, okay. You know who also loves t- Talar is Rose Wiley. She oh. cites Talar as someone that she really responds to. Um, all right, so we ask all of our guests, as you know, as you've heard talk art from the beginning, you're the OG for us. Uh, yes, we ask wait for it. The, the same questions. If <laughs> what, you could... What's your favourite colour and yes. one <laughs> painting's art heist? Yes. yes. So, Gunnar, so what's your art heist? Any work of art in the world, what would it be and why? Okay, so um, I think it would have to be um, the Katharina Van Hemsen, Hemsen painting, you know, the self-portrait. Um, she was like a Flemish painter from the 1550s. Um, wow. And women were That's not right. allowed to be artists at the time. And so the only reason she was able to paint was because her dad taught her how to paint. And I don't even know if she was just like, like if she was a hardcore painter, but 
um, I think that's one of the like earliest self portraits I've seen of like a female self portrait. It's pretty cool. And um, also, I have to say another painting that always that that I always come back to is Matisse's The Red Studio. Mm. I don't even know that one at the MoMA. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's just like this guy woke up one day and like that that decision to make a painting like so flat and just like all red. She's like, what? Like. What were you smoking that day, you know? <laughs> He's yeah. on your train, isn't he? He's in your Jerry Saltz uh, train of artists that you feel connected to. His name is down there. As yeah. well as Elisa Nissenbaum is down there. And uh, obviously Hockney and Bonnard. Uh, these are all artists that are really important to you. Totally, totally. But hopefully they've uh, they've left the room so that you can... Yes, hopefully I'm... Your yeah, uh, you <laughs> know who I am? Swept them all out, yeah. <laughs> Recently, I've become really obsessed with John Bradby. He's an English painter. Oh, right. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. He, I know, he, he's kind of almost like kitchen sink, isn't he? Like, yeah. What does those, that mean? What's really weird about that? Well, those bathroom sink sinks. paintings John, are really good. <gasps> yes. John Bradby, I learned about because I was dating a guy. Actually, no, I wasn't dating him. I was dating somebody else, but we used to hang out a lot. I think we, nothing ever happened between us, actually, but nothing physical. But we were like hanging out a lot with each other and he'd started to collect them. And that's why I know these works really well. I learned about them in the kind of mid 2000s. Yeah. They're amazing, John Bratby. Yeah, I have yet to see them in person, but I have like five of his books. <laughs> and I'm you like, do. I need to go to London or somewhere. I need to find these works, you know. Oh, wow. I'm going to look this up. And they, they were quite inexpensive like 15 years ago. Um, I discovered it when we first met Russ. That was exactly the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's well, underrated. There's a, there's a Vietnamese yeah. Vietnamese artist as well on your, on one of your trains called Lee Fo. Yeah. And this is an artist that's been overlooked, but is incredible. These these flower arrangements and these these nudes. This is an artist that through you I've suddenly discovered. Yeah, like I think Le Fo is like really like I don't know, not that I feel a connection, but you know, like he's from Vietnam. He went to school in Paris at the time. And I think he studied with you know, I think he was like in part of the circle with like Bonard and people like they were somehow connected. But he like ended up going to Viet- back to Vietnam and he was like painting French Impressionism in Vietnam at a time where it was like, like not a thing, you know, and just like wow. thinking about like him and like his like them traveling them would have been on like boats and stuff like or like no airplanes or something. So, yeah, I don't know, like finding a connection there or something. Brilliant. The other question we ask every guest, as you know, is what is your favorite color? Oh, right, right. Um, you know, I think I hit like COVID rock bottom when I bought a pair of like glitter Crocs, like these silver glitter Crocs. <laughs> and I literally were wearing them every single day while I was making the show. So I don't know, some sort of like silver glitter, maybe. Um, you still got yeah. them. You still wear them. I do. I still will. Now I'm just like, I used to be like, there's no, you're not going to catch me dead in Crocs ever. Um, and now I just run around in these glitter Crocs all They're day. They're really you know? comfortable, aren't they? They're yeah. so comfortable. They are very comfortable. I think also yes. there's something about COVID that made everyone want to wear glitter. Yes, yes, totally. You know what I mean? I like, or dress this. bright. I feel like every time I go out now and it's someone's birthday or something, everyone's like really dressing up. Yeah, You know what totally. I mean? Like, it's like, that's it's so, almost like the 1920s again. Or that's something. so funny that you say that because I've noticed just recently, it's like a lot of people are wearing glitter masks and also just like through research, like a lot of times when there's war happening or like in war zone countries, like people wear a lot of glitter. And in my mind, I'm like, roaring 20s happened after the Spanish flu. So like, 
2023 is going to be party central. It's going to be glitter. Like, see you there. And even, yeah, yeah. even today, our friend um, Stella McCartney has, has launched uh, glitter kind of boots that are all in one. These, even the heel of the shoe, it's like the whole thing is just like a lump of glitter. They're amazing. That's so and like, cool. I think that's all part of it. And obviously they're eco-friendly. So we, we like <laughs> What is the I'm best advice cool. you've had so far with your art? Um, the best, well, I think the most, honestly, it's just about the work. Like the work is like the only thing that matters. Um, all that other stuff sort of just like follows with or comes after. I don't know. In my mind, that's a bit, you just have to make a lot of work and the work has to be really good simple just be brilliant that's the advice that really just just do the advice. work you know totally love it amazing i love how driven you are it's brilliant <laughs> you inspire me so much oh thank you you're like you're like kind of rock and roll almost it's good um nice. i want to say likewise and i'm really excited for your book um i feel like i'll finally have a chance like time to like read it and um i just i'm like a massive fan of this podcast as you know so oh, it's like very surreal to be on here. Well, we're a massive fan of yours and this has been absolutely wonderful. And I think everyone listening is going to, who don't know your work already, is going to be very excited to discover it and see more. And actually, I've just remembered the first time we asked you to come on, it was probably a year ago or something, and you, and you said you weren't ready yet and you wanted to do it when you were ready. And I love that now you are. Yeah. Because I really wanted to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Um, I know. I was like, I don't think I'm talk out worthy now. But no, it's... I will no. be one day. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well you got there good times well what Thanks. about you guys um, what are you guys up will you be in new york anytime soon or? well we've just found out in the news that uh november time i think we we're able to fly over there without having well because at the minute we're not allowed to fly over there so yes there will be plans i mean at some point we'd like to remount some live events that we were planning to do when i was there doing my play start of last year um so and also the american version of talk out the book had a different color cover it was bright yellow and we really wanted to do a few book events and yeah, things like that yeah we'll be we'll be over there we'll be we'll be in the states we're gonna come don't back. worry don't worry <laughs> and we're gonna be hanging out with yes, you hopefully at your residence. Exactly. no i definitely want to meet you guys in real life irl it'll be yeah. irl very very totally. soon totally. <laughs> well everyone listening uh for all images please go to at talkart on instagram and you're on instagram as well susan mm-hmm. yeah and what's your handle um, it's Susan M B Chen. Well, yes, my middle initials, like M for like, I don't know, more and B for balloons or something. Yes. <laughs> Susan more balloons Chen. At Amazing. Susan M B Chen. <laughs> um, love that. Well, thank you so much. It's been the best hour ever. Loved it. And um we'll be back very soon. And make sure you go to Night Gallery if you're in Los Angeles. Yes, and check if you it can't, out check show. it all out online. It's on until really October twenty third. Oh, I have one question before you go. You said that the guy who makes your stretches for you works at FIT. Yes. What, what is F? What is FIT? I've written it down. I'm oh, like question mark. Um, the Fashion Institute of Technology. It's a university in New York. Oh, Thank cool. you, because I've got big question marks around that going. Like, I don't know what it is. Yeah, don't I, know what I've it only is. ever heard of MIT, not FIT. But and what's MIT then? Uh, Massachusetts, I think, isn't it? Yes. It's like a the very Massachusetts great, prestigious... Institute of Technology in Boston. I mean, it's like really classy. Amazing. It's where you go. And then if you get published by MIT Press, you're like a legend. Well, oh, dear. Let's aim for, let's aim for that. All right, everyone. Big love. <laughs> Thanks for Take listening. Care. Thanks, Susan. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com